just believe God has some really good things for us this morning. This is um, Psalm 90. was written by, actually in, in, the, in your Bible, if you look at it, it says, written by a prayer. It says, a prayer of Moses, the man of God. So we think most of the Psalms is being written by David. He wrote half of them. They were written four or five hundred years plus after this one. This is maybe the oldest Psalm in the Bible. It's about 3,500 years old. And so this is some ancient wisdom. And I was just thinking, even as a new semester starting for your college students and starting a new thing, there's this conjecture of the old, that there's this ancient wisdom. One of our core, our core values here is that joined generations go farther. And so we're taking this old wisdom and bringing it to right now. And this is, we're going to read it. It's really, there's a lot in here. And I... I had an interesting experience last night. I was actually sitting on my front porch, kind of reading over this and putting, wrapping things up, getting ready for this morning. And I was sitting there on my front porch, and we have a little bird feeder out there, and sometimes birds come and we watch them, and that's, that's cool. But we don't have a hummingbird feeder, so it's rare for us to see a hummingbird. But all at once, this hummingbird came over, and we have these hanging plants on our porch. So just about three feet away from me, there's this hanging plant with flowers cascading off the side. And this hummingbird comes up and he's sticking his little pointed beak into the flowers and, and drinking the nectar or whatever they do. And if you, those of you who have seen hummingbirds, I mean, they're just fascinating. There's, the colors are so vivid and their wings are going just like a thousand beats a minute it's, or a second. I mean, it's just insane. And it's just kind of like, wow, I just got to stare at this thing. And they kind of like zoom in, and they're there for a little while, and they zoom out, so you kind of want to see it while they're there. So I was watching it. It was on the other side of the planter. And then it came to the other side, so it was like right next to me, about two feet away. It's like, wow, this is really cool. I'm looking at it. And then something unnerving happened that had never happened to me before. The bird stopped sucking nectar from that flower, and it, it, it came and it started, got right in front of me. This is me. And it was just like staring at me. And I, I mean, it was like eyeball to eyeball, like beady black eyes. And then it was like, it would go jump off to the side and like just stare there. And like, it did this like 180 degree rotation thing. And I'm sitting there and it was, it was on the one hand, very exquisite and beautiful and engaging. And on the other hand, it was very unnerving. Like, I was looking at that thing like, you could kill me. <laughs> like, it really felt, I felt very vulnerable. This bird looking me in the eye with this pointed beak, going 100 miles an hour, like, if it just, if it darted at my eye, I'm gone for. Right now, if it, like, I can't defend myself against this thing. And it was almost like the guy was saying, hey, stop looking at, I don't know what he was thinking, but like, I see you too. And you're staring at me like, I, I'm, I'm a living creature, and I got more up my, under my wings than you realize. And it was just like, wow. And I was reading this psalm we're going to look at. It's kind of the same thing. It's drawing us into the, the beauty of God. There's the exquisiteness of who he is and his character and what a relationship with him is all about. But it's also unnerving. It also brings us face-to-face -face with our vulnerability and our, our frailty and the realization that this God, as, as C.S. Lewis says that about Aslan, who's a picture of Jesus, that he's not a tame lion, that 
It's not just something we take lightly, but there's some this, this sacredness and this, this danger involved in our relationship with God. And so this morning, we're going to do a little different than we usually do. We're just going to read through this, this chapter. It's 17 verses in Psalm 90. And we're just going to kind of talk through it as we look at it and pull out some themes and highlights. So would you just, let's pray together and ask God to speak to us. I believe he has something for each one of us here this morning. God, thank you for that, that though you're infinitely wiser and bigger and more powerful than us, you made us and you made us to be in relationship with you and to know you. And Lord, this morning I pray that you would make that more real. Wherever we're at, whether we've known you for 50 years or whether we don't know you at all, would you help us to, to know you this morning, to be in relationship with you? God, would you even just cut off the stuff in our life that maybe is just like shallow, uh, just uh, coarseness or um, thickness of, of thinking that we're just used to doing things a certain way? Would you pierce through that? God, and speak your word to us through your word. Thank you for it, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, Psalm 90, verse 1. Moses starts out and he says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. You have been our dwelling place. You have been our refuge, our home, in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Lord, you have been our dwelling place. That's a weird thought, if you think about it. That God is our dwelling place. The place where we live. It's really saying, God, you are our home. And we don't think of a person as being a home. We think of a building or a space as being a home. And I was thinking about this this week. I actually dropped off our 18-year-old son, Cade, drove him to Iowa State, and he's starting college there. Moved into the dorm. And some of you are doing that this week. When you move into the dorm, what do you do? You want to make it your home, right? So you take, you take your bedspread and your sheets and a little bit of artwork, and you take that space and you try to personalize it because there's something about this. You, we all need a place. We need a place that's our home, a place that's comfortable, a place that's safe, a place that fits us just right, a place that kind of understands us or gets us, and that's home environments, are, that's really what a home is, is all about. And God is our home. That desire in us for that sort of place, for a place of safety, of comfort, where we can be at peace, that is what we find in a relationship with God. Being close to God is where we are most at home. And so many you know, messages in our culture all around us tell us that other things are really what we're looking for. If we just like, you know, get the right this or that, or right girlfriend or boyfriend or family or husband or wife or right house, then we'll, we'll have that, that sense of what we're looking for. Hundreds of years ago, St. Augustine said, our souls are restless until, they find, until we find our rest in you. And that is the truth, that we are made for a relationship with God. And that is where we find that sense of home. You know, Moses, it's, it's interesting, he spent the first 40 years of his life 
in Pharaoh's palace. He was adopted as a son of Pharaoh. He lived in the court of maybe the most powerful man on earth. He lived in the palace. That was his, his home. Then he spent the next 40 years, he, 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 got, he killed somebody, was no longer welcome. He killed one of the Egyptian soldiers, had to flee for his life. He spent the next 40 years in, in the wilderness, working as a shepherd, got married, and that was his home. That was where he lived. And then at age 80, actually God called him, and he spent the next 40 years of his life in the desert, leading the people of Israel out of slavery and towards the promised land that God had for him. So he had lived in different environments, but he said, my home is with you. Lord, you've been our dwelling place in all generations. He found that what, I, what really makes a home is not, not um, you know, for some people, maybe like I need a tiny house. For some people, maybe I want a mansion. I want lots of knickknacks or I want minimalism, not much. No, it's, none of that stuff is really what it is. It's a relationship with God is what we're looking for. So that's, man, that's good. This God who created the mountains, who created the earth, who formed everything out of nothing, he is the one that we find our home with. And then he goes on in verse 3. And this is kind of where he gets to the hummingbird staring at you and about to like, make you not sure what's going to happen. Moses says, you return man to dust and say, return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You return man to dust. Moses is praying and saying, hey, we, I, we need to realize that we are, we are made of dust. We are, when God made the first man, Adam, he fashioned him out of dirt and then breathed in him and he became a living being. There is something in us where the imago dei, the image of God, we're this high creation of God, but at the same time, we're dust. And the same dust that we're made from is what we're going to go back to. And that's, that's humbling. That's, there's this realization of our weakness, of our mortality, that we don't, we don't last. Our bodies don't last. Um, we, we return to the dust. This week, I had one of those weeks where we had two vehicles have issues. Well, ours, and then yesterday our, our church truck had a little issue. And then my sons have a lawn mowing business. So between us, we have four lawn mowers. Guess how many lawn mowers needed work this week? All of them. All four of them in one week. It was crazy. Two of them. Yesterday was Ian, my 11-year-old's first day running the lawn mowing business because Kate went off to college. And two mowers had gone to the shop on Friday. Two mowers broke down yesterday. It's like, man, this is, this is not very good. There's, as much as those lawnmowers are weak and break down, that's, that's what our lives are like. And there is a finiteness, a finiteness, a brokenness, a weakness to our life. And that's important to realize. Moses says, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. So he's comparing our dustness to God's infinite perspective. That... As he sits watching all of history, it's, his perspective is so much bigger. What seems to us as such a significant thing or such an intense period of time, a thousand years is like a day to him compared to God's perspective. Verse 5 says, you sweep them away, you sweep people away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that's renewed in the morning. 
In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. It's, again, he's talking about our mortality. We may feel like we're on the top of the world at one minute. Hey, I'm, things are going well. I'm strong. I'm doing good. Things are happening. But that's just like the grass growing and then the heat, the sun hits it and it withers by evening. Things that we may be on the top of the world one minute, but that can change so quickly. And then verse 7. This is where it, it gets, starts to get even more intense. For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath, we are dismayed. You've set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. We're brought to an end by your anger. Not only is Moses saying that, yes, I'm dust, we're dust. We're here one minute, gone the next minute. But he connects our mortality to God's anger. There's something about, it's not just that, oh, that's, you know, it expires. But there's something about it's God's anger is involved in why are we are so finite and so temporal and why are the pain and suffering of life um, you've set our iniquities before you our secret sins in the light of of your presence and basically what this is getting at is that all the brokenness of the world all the sin the the brokenness of the world and the death that we all experience and are headed towards is not just the way creation was designed but it's a result of sin there would be no death if there was no sin. There would need be no brokenness if it wasn't for sin in the world. And it's not just sin out there or sin up there as a, as a force, although it is all those things, but it's sin in us. It's sin in us leads to our brokenness. And God is, it says God is displeased with that. God is indignant about our sins. And God's character is such that God deals with our sins. God is not able, God is both loving and just. He cannot just let sin go undealt with. But God is, is he, he deals with it. It's, and we, you know, I, it's hard for us to deal with this because it's us, right? It's our sin, and like, oh man, there's that hummingbird looking me in the eye, like, oh shoot, man, I feel very vulnerable here. This doesn't feel very nice. God, what are you going to do with me next? But I think we, we innately understand this because when someone else wrongs us, we have the instinct that, man, justice needs to be done. Or if we look at the great the injustices in the world, if we look at misogyny or male chauvinism, or if we look at racism, we say, man, that is evil. That needs to be dealt with. We look at uh, human trafficking. The evils in the world, we realize, man, that is that is unjust. That is wicked. That can't be just left undealt with. And that's how, you know, we kind of have the instinct, like, I just finally watched Avengers Endgame recently. A little bit behind, I know. But we all, we want Hulk to Hulk up at some point, right? Like, we want, when there's, when there are the bad guys raging in the world and evil Thanos is taking out the world, we want Hulk to become Thanos. Yeah, sorry, I've got a nephew named Thanos. <laughs> Get him confused there. They, we, we want 
the mean Hulk to be, you know, and it's interesting how, anyway, I won't go distracted <laughs> by the Hulk, but we want good to become powerful and deal with evil, right? Like the world needs that. And the world needs that. God, God must deal with that because he is just. He is just. Um, I think about this in Moses' life. If you're familiar with the story of Moses, you may know that his great mission in life was, was to lead the people of Israel out of slavery in Egypt into the promised land that God had given them, which is the, Palestine or Canaan. And he made one, he did a lot of great things in his life. I mean, he's the one God gave the Ten Commandments to. He met with God on this mountain for 40 days, saw God. He brought the law to, to the people. Um, he, the first five books of the Bible he wrote. He led people out of slavery. But they messed up over and over and over again. They served other gods and were unfaithful. And they ended up not going into the promised land because of their sin and their unbelief towards God. But Moses also wasn't able to go in the promised land. And it was because of one mistake he made where he was so frustrated with the people and God had told him that there was, they didn't have water. God said, speak to this rock, and water will come out of it. And Moses instead got frustrated, and he did what God had told him to do one other time. He struck the rock with his staff. He, he hit it out of frustration instead of speaking to it. And water did come out of it, but God was displeased that he was, gave in to that frustration. And God said, because of that, you're not going to be able to go into the promised land. So we're familiar with that. Um, the effects of Moses' sin in his life. There's another incident that happened in Moses' life earlier that I think is even less talked about. But, again, a hummingbird here, this, this is really intense, okay? This is, this is just kind of weird. But when, Mo, when God first called Moses, there was this bush that was on fire, but it didn't burn up, and God spoke to Moses and said, I'm the I Am. And I'm, gonna, I'm sending you to go to, Israel, to Egypt, to Pharaoh, and lead my people out of slavery. And Moses said, who am I? You know, just little old me. And he kind of had this conversation with God, and, and God said, hey, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to give you my power. Trust me. But Moses was kind of struggled with taking that assignment, as you and I would do too, right? Going before the most powerful man in the world, who you were probably already on his top ten most wanted list, and saying, hey, I, give, give me all your workforce, and just let him go free, and we're going we're gonna to go serve God somewhere else. That's, that would be pretty overwhelming. So Moses kind of resisted a little bit and wrestled with that and said, what about me? And I can't talk. And God said, well, okay, use your brother. You know, he'll, we'll, we'll work this out. So, God, so Moses finally came to a place saying, okay, I'll, I'll go. And then it's interesting, on their way, that Moses got his, his wife, Zipporah, and they, his, they, had two, he had, they had two sons. They headed towards Pharaoh, and they, during the night, this incident happens where it says God was angry with Moses. And it seems that, I'm kind of reading between the lines, but it seems that God was just like, man, who is this guy? Who is he? Like, I'm why is he resisting me so much? Like, I told him I'm going to use him. But he's still not trusting me. He's not believing me. And, you know, this, and Moses' sin, his unbelief, which our unbelief is one of our greatest sins, 
really the root of all of our sins. And that's what was manifesting in Moses' life. And God, it came, that sin was so prominent that it says the Lord was going to kill Moses. Now that's intense. There's that hummingbird. The Lord was going to kill Moses. And Exodus 4, you read this story. It says Moses' wife took a flint, which was a piece of rock, really, really sharp rock that you would use as a cutting instrument, and went to their son and circumcised him with this rock. Now, there's a reason they don't talk about these stories in Sunday school very much. I said about when I was just learning to be a disciple and help disciple others, my, my wife and I had met this couple from China. They were international students. And they were really open to God. And we started meeting and doing Bible studies. They ended up becoming believers. And so we were doing this Bible study talking about water baptism and looking at what is, what is baptism, what is baptism all about. And the, in the New Testament it says that baptism is like circumcision. And not a cutting away of the flesh, but of a, it's a spiritual circumcision. And so I re, we're reading this to this, I'm meeting with my friend Gao from China, and he said, what is circumcision? And his English wasn't very good. So like, oh, great. Do I have to explain this? How do I explain this? So I like, tried my best to explain it. This was before you had Google Translate or any of that. That would have been a great resource at that time. <laughs> I was like trying to, to explain it. It just it wasn't happening. And so finally, I just had to draw a picture. <laughs> and he's like, oh, OK. Now, now I get it. Now I understand. But this is, I mean, this is real. This is primal. This is intense. So Zipporah circumcises their son and takes that piece of flesh and takes the, the bloody piece of flesh and puts it on Moses' feet. Yeah. Like, what is this all about? There's a reason we pass over these stories. And then it says that God spared Moses' life. And it was a picture of that because of our sin, blood has to be shed. And the stuff in our flesh, the stuff in our fallen nature that is contrary to believing God and trusting God, that's, that's selfish, and that is the most desiring things that are not about God's will, that part of us has to be dealt with, and there has to be, it has to be dealt with, and there has to be, a, there has to be blood spilled for our sin. Now, this is all foreshadowing. Later, Moses was going to bring, um, bring the sacrificial system to the people of Israel where animals were killed on behalf of people's sins. Actually, circumcision had already been established by Moses' great-great-great-grandfather, Abraham. So they were supposed to be being circumcised already. But ultimately, this was all fulfilled in Jesus. That when we can become so familiar with the cross and be like, oh yeah, that's a nice, that's a nice image. You know, that's a nice picture. But we forget that, no, this, there is this, this primal need for justice and blood to be spilled on behalf of us for our sins. And as, as intense as that story of Moses and his wife and his son is, 
it's not nearly as intense as what Jesus did on the cross. That what he did was taking the, the wrath, the just indignation that God had towards us and our sin. God said, I don't want to pass that on to you. But I want to, I, but I am going to send my son, and I'm going to become sin. And I'm going to take the punishment and the consequences for our sins and the brokenness of humanity upon myself. So that if you trust me, your sin and guilt can be passed to Jesus and you can be free. So there's this connection between our mortality, God's displeasure with our sin. Jesus deals with sin and I thank God that opportunity is for us, that we can not just have the brunt of God's justice come to us directly, but it was put on Jesus. And our sins can be dealt with in Jesus and not in us. Back to Psalm, Psalm 90 here. Verse 9 says, For all our days pass away under your, under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? You know, and this is, who considers the power of your anger? I think the application for us is we should consider. It's, we tend to be so focused on success and good things and happiness and that we, can, we lose sight of our destinies. We lose sight of our need for a Savior. We lose sight of our, our sin. Who can, but Moses is saying, who considers the power of your anger, your wrath, according to the fear of you? Who considers what had to happen because of our brokenness, what, ha- what Jesus did in our place? And that that is, that is, that is what, what we deserve, but what God took for us. Verse 12 says, so teach us to number our days, that we may get a heart of wisdom. Teach us to number our days, that we may get a heart of wisdom. I think this is really important as we're, a new school year is starting, kind of at a time of optimism and hope and no homework yet for the first week. It's like, yeah, I'm feeling great. You know, it's always, we used to go out on campus a lot and do surveys and the first week of school, people were so like ready to say yes to everything. It's like, oh yeah, sure, I'll do a survey. Sure, I've got time. Oh, you got a barbecue? Yeah, that sounds great. And then, Week two, it was just like, bam, like something just hits people. There's like this thing called homework and responsibility and life. And like all at once, there's not so much joy and optimism as there was before. But teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Our days, as he said a few verses earlier, people live 70 years, maybe 80, if, if they have strength. You know, we, our days are numbered. They are not infinite. And there's something about knowing that our days are numbered that helps us to value them more. The more limited a resource, the more valuable it is. And when we, it's ironic that when we see, oh man, I'm, I'm dust, I'm temporal, I, I don't, my, my body is decaying. I can, my body at my age now doesn't work as well as it did 20 years ago 
naturally. I have to work harder to try to do the same things. My mind isn't as limber as it used to, to be. Things just like that's the natural effect of sin and decay in the world. But those days, that realization makes the days valuable when we realize it. Um, the more, it's interesting, I think that the more you realize, the more we realize our dustness, the more we realize our finiteness, the more likely we are to transcend our dustness, actually. It's, the more we avoid thinking about our weakness, the more we're under the power of sin, actually. But the more we realize our creatureliness, that we are people, we are of dust, we are made by God, we are weak, the more we, we come to that place of weakness, in that place, God brings his grace into our lives. It's ironic, but it's, it's the way God works. I think about Moses. Think about he, how, how old did he say people lived in his day? 70 years, maybe 80. Yeah, how long, how long did Moses live? I said it earlier. 120. Yeah, so we may think, oh yeah, everybody lived to be 120. No, that was not how long people lived. People lived to be 70 or 80. But Moses lived to be 120. And I think that's because he was more in touch with who God was, his relationship with God, and his, his weakness. It's interesting that the beginning, look at those, those three stages of Moses' life, the first 40 years in Pharaoh's palace, everything, like top of the world according to the world system, and then 40 years in the wilderness, by himself, feeling like a failure, probably, feeling like, man, what, did, what am I making in my life? You know, I've lost everything that seemed to matter, that people would have said mattered before. And then at age 80, so the end of a normal lifespan, that was when God called him and said, hey, this is my assignment for you. And that brought a whole new season of his greatest ministry and greatest life and what we read about, what, what our lives are still impacted by. God always does that. He brings us to the end of ourself, the end of our natural ability, the end of our strength, the end of our resources, the end of being able to figure it out for ourselves. He lets us even like do things our way to a point, and then it doesn't work. Like our way doesn't work. And we get to that point, and that's often where we have to get for us to turn to God and say, God, okay, I need you. And God meets us in that place. And that's where he brings his grace. And that's where he brings the good stuff that he has for us. Oh, I just love this. Verse 13, return, O Lord. O return, O Lord. How long? This is Moses' prayer. Return, O Lord. How long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast, unfailing love. That we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, and for as many years as we have seen evil. I love this, that in the midst of recognizing his dustness and sin and God's justice and our undeservedness of God's loving kindness, Moses says, but God, be merciful. God, be near. God, I need you. God, will you show up in my life? Will you bring your grace and mercy into my life? 
I need you. I'm, I'm looking to you. I'm counting on you. Lord, we need you. I need you. Help us. Have pity on us. Have mercy. And that's, Moses knew, Moses, Moses knew the character of God. He knows that God loves this attitude in us. He loves it when we come to God and say, God, I, I don't deserve it. It's not because of who I am, but God, be merciful to me because of who you are. You're a God of compassion. You're a God of kindness. You're a God of forgiveness. You're a God of mercy. God, be merciful. Despite our iniquity, but despite our sin, we can draw near. And this is actually what God longs for. It's what he is looking for from us, that we will just look to him and say, God, I want you. I need you. Will you show up in my life? Um, just as Moses boldly came before God, we can too, and even more. And then the last two verses of this, this psalm, in verse 16, he says, Let your work be shown to your servants, and your glorious power to their children. Let your work be shown to your servants, and your glorious power to their children. We're easily impressed by great works of people, whether it be an artist, a musician, a business person, someone who makes a lot of money, someone who designs great things, an athlete. Like we all, there are people that were like, wow, that's amazing, that's an amazing work. But Moses says, let, it, you let your work be shown to your servants. In other words, let us see your work. Let our eyes be not on the works of what we're doing or what people can do, but what has God done? This is the God who made the world, the mountains, the land, the, the seas by speaking it. Made the galaxies. This is the God who became a person and entered our weakness and brought the truth, brought the kingdom of God and died on our behalf, rose from the dead, brought new life into the world. Let these works be shown to us. Let us measure and weigh those works more than all the other works that we do or anyone else do, does. Let us, he's the one who's sitting on his throne right now, reigning in the world, and bringing change through his people. Let us see those works. Let us be impressed by what God is doing in the world today. And that's really my prayer. I remember my freshman year of college. Some of you are, a few of you are freshmen. I was part of a brand new church, and there, I remember meeting with the pastor the first time, and I was looking for different ministries to be part of. And kind of, we went out to Pizza Hut, and we were talking, and I said, well, tell me about what you're doing. I was, and he's like, man, we are here. We are reaching students. We are making disciples. We are training leaders to send them out and change the world. And that's what it's all about. We want people's time in college to be a time of building a relationship with God and growing as a leader to make a difference in the world and reaching this campus. And I was like, as he was talking, my heart just was like drawn to that. Like, yes, that's what I want to be part of. And I was imagining 100 students in a room that were on fire for God, serving him. And so I was, okay, that's great. Where do you guys meet? What do, where do I go? Where do I, how do I get connected with this, these people? And he didn't really answer my question because I didn't realize this, but there were two students who were part of this ministry. They were just starting out. There was like, it wasn't actually tangible yet, but it was real because he knew God had brought that about. And he, God had called that to be. And he spoke about it as if it was already there. 
And I imagined it as if it was already there. And it was crazy. That, that fall, I saw students give their lives to Jesus. I saw people be healed of different physical conditions. I saw people experience the power of the Holy Spirit. And at the end of that semester, there was a group, and it wasn't 100 people. It was about eight people that were meeting in this little room. And, but we, I remember just having this sense of, man, God is here. God is in the middle of this. This is a God thing. God, you are doing something here. And I want to be part of that. That's what I want to be part of. And that's, and since that time, I've seen that church grow to hundreds of people. And churches sent out. Our church has been started from there. And things have happened. It's, but it's can we see the work of God and what he's doing all around us? And then can we be part of it? Can we be part of what he is doing? The last verse says, let the, let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. We want our lives to count. We want our lives to be working for something that matters. We, 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 that's just innate in us. We want to give ourselves to something that, that matters. And sometimes we think that, that, oh, Christianity is all about grace, not work. We shouldn't think about work. That's kind of like bad, bad stuff, bad juju. Don't talk about work. You're going to fall off of, of grace. But really, biblically, when we understand God's grace, it's not just forgiveness of our sins, but it's empowering us to do the work God has called us to do. And that desire in us to see the work of our hands established is from God. And he wants the work of our hands to be established. And that's whether we're a teacher or a homemaker or a parent or an engineer or a business person, a student, whatever that is, God has called us to do work that expands his kingdom and really matters. And that is a good prayer, that he would establish the work of our hands. God has work for us to do. And as we recognize who he is and recognize our weakness, but yet connected to him, what he can do through that, he does great things. And I'm just really excited about this this year. You know, I'm really excited about where we're at as, as individuals. I think every one of us in this room, the, the God is, there's an opportunity to, to make our home with him like never before. And to walk in a, in a humble, honest way with him like never before. And to appreciate him like never before. And then to be part of his work that he's doing. So I want to pray for us. And as I do that, the worship team is going to come on up. And we're going to worship God with one more song. But go ahead and stand up. And let's, let's pray together. If this is your prayer, agree with me. And let's let this prayer of Moses be our prayer. Lord, thank you that you are our dwelling place. Thank you that you're the place where we find what our hearts are looking for. Lord, may this be a time, may this be a day of us entering into experiencing that, of looking to you experiencing your, being in your dwelling place. May that be the first love and delight of our life.
God, will you help us to, Lord, we, we acknowledge our weakness. We acknowledge that we, we're dust. We're completely dependent upon you. Lord, and we, we also acknowledge our sin. We have fallen short of the glory of God. We've gone after other gods. We've looked at other things. We've not been faithful to you. We deserve your indignation. But Lord, we thank you that you have taken that indignation upon yourself. You've taken the weight of our sin upon yourself, that it could be lifted off of us and we could be free. Lord, even this morning, if there's sins in our hearts, we turn from those. If that's, your, if that's your prayer, just do that in your own heart. Say, I turn from my sin. I turn from my idolatry. I turn from my pride. I receive the, the grace of God in my life through what Jesus did on the cross and with his resurrection. Lord, will you give us new perspective? Will you help us to transcend our, our creatureliness? Transcend our dustness. Raise us up to be the people you called us to be. Lord, I pray for each person here that you would establish the work of their hands. Lord, that they would know what you have put in, before their hands to do. The work you want them to do. That you would establish it. That whether it looks like it's doing anything, like Moses, it, it looked like it wasn't being established most of his life, but you, were, you did establish it. God, would you help us to have the work of our hands be established? Lord, we thank you for that. Thank you that you are the God who does this. We worship you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.